Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. Heads up that you also might hear two different hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. With that said, on with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's October 29th. Sir Walter Raleigh was beheaded for treason on this day in 1618. Sir Walter Raleigh was the longtime favorite of Queen Elizabeth I. He had been born in Devonshire to a family that was well-established in the area, but not really wealthy or prominent. They did have some pretty high-up connections, though. One of these was the woman who served as Elizabeth's governess back when she was still a princess. Raleigh also served as a captain in the army during the Tudor conquest of Ireland, and he was a captain of a unit that massacred Spanish and Italian troops that were assisting Irish rebels there. This massacre was horrifying, but it was also really how England treated rebels at the time. The response to rebellion was always swift and decisive and meant to deter any further rebellion. By the middle of the 1580s, though, Raleigh was well into Queen Elizabeth's good graces. He was knighted. She gave him all kinds of estates and land and monopolies on wine licenses and broadcloth exports. A lot of this was very lucrative. After the death of his half-brother, Sir Humphrey Gilbert, in 1583, Raleigh also got a charter to colonize North America. This led to a series of expeditions that he planned and funded but didn't actually go on to what's now the coast of North Carolina. This included the infamous lost colony of Roanoke. And the reason that Raleigh didn't personally go on any of these is the queen wanted him to stay with her. In the early 1590s, though, Raleigh almost lost the queen's favor forever by secretly marrying one of her maids of honor and having a child with her. He only started to earn the queen's forgiveness through more expeditions to try to seek treasure in the Americas and through fighting against Spain in the Anglo-Spanish War. He had gotten some of his old positions and favors back when Queen Elizabeth died in 1603 and James I of England and VI of Scotland became king. Almost immediately, Sir Walter Raleigh was suspected of treason. He was implicated in something called the Main Plot. This was a plot to overthrow the king and replace him with Lady Arbella Stewart. This was a real plot, but Raleigh probably wasn't involved in it. But by the standards of the law of the day, he did commit treason. This was a very broad law. If you compassed or imagined the death of the king, that was treason. And Raleigh admittedly did that. He basically griped to his friends about how displeased he was with James I and various ill wishes that he had toward him. Raleigh was sentenced to death, but given a last-minute stay and instead sentenced to life in the Tower of London, where he spent the next 13 years with a staff of servants and daily visits from his wife and son and another son who was born to them in 1605. In 1616, Raleigh convinced King James that he could find gold in the Americas, and James allowed him to leave prison and go look for it and mount another expedition on one condition. That condition was that he not attack or harm any Spanish vessels or settlements or people or any of that. England was finally not at war with Spain, and James didn't really want that to change at all. But this whole thing went wrong. 
Sir Walter Raleigh got sick, and his second-in-command, Lawrence Chemis, sometimes called Lawrence Keems, had to take over. Chemis attacked a Spanish force, which was exactly the thing that they had been told explicitly not to do. And then on top of the fact that they attacked a Spanish force, they did not find any gold. Raleigh was so unrelenting after this that Chemis took his own life. Spain demanded restitution for what Raleigh and his expedition had done, And so instead of putting him on trial for that expedition and for those actions, they instead just revived the death penalty for treason that he had been given earlier on. So he was beheaded on October 29th of 1618 in a very theatrical execution. His head was delivered to his widow in a bag, and she reportedly kept it for the next 29 years until her own death. Raleigh himself reportedly haunts the Tower of London today. Of course, there is a whole lot more to the life of Sir Walter Raleigh and even to the main plot in this whole execution, and you can learn more about it in the October 22nd, 2018 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks so much to Tari Harrison for her audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a dramatic radio story, maybe a little too dramatic. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where we dust off a little piece of history and place it ever so gently on your brain shelf every day. The day was October 29th, 1964. The Star of India, a 563.35-carat sapphire, was stolen from the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, along with 23 other valuable gems. The J.P. Morgan Hall of Gems and Minerals at the museum was home to a collection of many notable gems. At the time, jewels were the object of many heists. After seeing a heist movie called Top Capet, Jack Roland Murphy decided he could break into Morgan Hall at the American Museum of Natural History and commit his own heist. Murphy, also known as Murph the Surf, teamed up with Roger Clark and Alan Dale Coon to steal the gems. On the night of October 29, 1964, Clark drove up to the back of the museum with Coon and Murphy in a Cadillac. Coon and Murphy climbed a fence, ascended a fire escape, and used a rope to swing into a fourth-floor window at the museum. The windows were not connected to an alarm system, and the museum had stopped putting a guard in the gym room. The thieves used a glass cutter, a squeegee they got from an employee's locker, and duct tape to break into three display cases and collect the gems. They skipped over one display case that contained sapphires, but they took plenty of expensive gems, including the Star of India, the DeLong Star Ruby, the Shetler Emerald, and the Midnight Star, a 116-carat black sapphire. The case the sapphire was in was protected by an alarm, but the batteries were dead. The next day, Kuhn and Murphy left New York on a flight to Miami with a 19-year-old named Janet Florkiewicz. As the thieves were on their way to Miami, a museum guard discovered that the gems had been stolen and called the police. The stolen gems were valued at $410,000, but none of them were insured since premiums were high. In a press conference, the museum director pinned the bad security on budget cuts. It only took two days for detectives to track the thieves down, 
detectives got tips that led them to Cambridge House Hotel, where the thieves were staying and hosting parties. In their hotel suite, detectives found sneakers with glass in them, photos of museums, books about precious stones, and burglary tools. One of the detectives stayed in the hotel suite overnight, and when Clark returned the next morning, he was arrested. Murphy and Kuhn were soon arrested in Miami, but the police did not find the hidden gems. The pair were extradited to New York, facing charges of first-degree burglary and possession of burglary tools. The public and press largely treated them like celebrities. But law enforcement still needed to find the gems. Assistant District Attorney Maurice Najari agreed to take Kuhn to Miami to lead him to the gems, accompanied by three detectives. After run-ins with the press and Kuhn going back and forth on calls with contacts, detectives found two wet bags filled with some of the gems in a bus station locker. The bags contained the Star of India, the Midnight Star, a sapphire, five emeralds, and two aquamarines. But the DeLong Star Ruby wasn't recovered until September of 1965. In 1965, Kuhn, Murphy, and Clark pled guilty to burglary and grand larceny and were all sentenced to three years at Rikers Island. New York's American Museum of Natural History is still home to thousands of minerals and gems, including the Star of India and the DeLong Star Ruby. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Have a hard time staying present as you mindlessly scroll through social media? Lucky for you, we're stuck in the past. At T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you prefer something a little bit more formal, then you can write us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. Merry history to all and to all a good night. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.